0: Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome, listener you are now plugged in to an Ethereum podcast. Your host, Evan Van Ness. Okay, I'm here with Dunning Uh Thank you for being on the show. How are you today? Good to be here. Yeah, yeah very good. Thank you. So, it's good to be here. So Dunning Krugerans is... Um, I assume it's sort of like the ironic, you know, use of the pejorative for for Bitcoin. So uh, I assume you were a Bitcoiner before you discovered Ethereum. Is that relatively the case?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I knew about Bitcoin very early on, and for a long time, kind of dismissed it as nonsense. Um, if I hadn't, I would be multi-millionaire today. Um, and then tried to do some horrendously complicated mining scheme that came to nothing and wasted a lot of time. Um, But yeah, I I was, I was into Bitcoin quite a bit, um, but kind of didn't like the sort of emphasis on the anarcho capitalism and, you know, being the new world elite and found it a little bit kind of alienating some of the kind of culture of Bitcoin. And I found that, Ethereum was both kind of more interesting from a technical point of view, but also seemed to have a more sensible community that wasn't just just about the kind of get-rich-quick schemes and about, you know, overthrowing the state. It seemed to have some kind of nuanced discussion in it.
0: So you're one of my my favorite commenters on Reddit. Um, So I I guess... i'm curious like do do you go to meetups in london are you involved in the london community or are you used you know strictly on on reddit and commenting and contributing in that way
1: yeah so I, i've been to a couple of kind of events and meetups um so i mean i, I started off kind of quite early and went to um so um, I think Alex um, Batlin, um, mm-hmm. who was is now the leading Enterprise Ethereum. So when he was um, working in the bank, I can't remember the name of the bank now, um, but he B- you never know, went to one of the original. Um, it may have, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, fair it, 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 was well, it was one of the Canary Wharf towers anyway. Um, so they were doing the demonstration of. Um, sort of a bond trading within it. So that was the first one I went to. And then I went to some of um, the kind of London uh, Ethereum meetups, but I've not been to, and Defcon 1 as well, um, but I've not been to them for a while now I, as they've grown. Um, and I'm not, I've kind of not linked who I am on Reddit to um, just turning up. I just... <laughs> turn up and stay relatively quiet
0: yeah that was that was my next question is if anyone had connected your 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 reddit name to you personally i mean if they figured out like why this guy knows so much or if they you know like who you know who are you right like (laughs) um that's like an interesting thing in this space is sometimes right like the people uh well it's just sometimes people know each other by reddit names
1: um, yeah, no, it's, it's quite weird. Actually, you kind of like, ah, oh, you're that person. You know, I know you from Twitter. That's, that's
0: right. it's, it's a strange world so. we live in. So what? So you know, so you've been you've been on the on our Ethereum, and of course, you're a moderator at, on ETH Trader. Uh, do you? I, I suppose ETH Trader is is in particular, um, you know, the signal to noise ratio fluctuates you know, significantly, depending on where the price is. Um, but yeah. but the long-term trend has definitely been down on both of those. You know, the community started, or like all Ethereum community at the start was on Reddit, right? And, um, you know, yes. it's not that way anymore. It's still maybe the main place, but the signal to noise ratio keeps declining. Do you have any, like, thoughts on, you know, is that fixable? Is that a good thing that we're decentralizing?
1: I mean, I, I think it's unavoidable Is you know, it becomes more popular and more and more people um, become part of it. I mean, I I think there's sort of two aspects. So one is you can't kind of have a relationship with that number of people, you know, where sort of back in the old days, you would kind of know all the posters and you'd have a sort of mental model of who they were and what they said, you'd be a lot more civil. Um, Now it's kind of random unknowns, you know, talking to each other, really. So I I don't think there's a lot you could do to make a large community have that kind of closeness of again. Um, I mean, uh, there's and also I mean we're very reluctant to kind of moderate it more harshly and right because if you look at you know I'm going to mention Bitcoin again but you know the the Bitcoin subreddit you know the the criticism about censorship there you know so I, I think it certainly. One of the functions of ETH Trader is to soak up <laughs> a lot of the price talk and silliness. And I think it's still been quite effective at doing that. You know, so the main Ethereum forum is still reasonably reasonably high quality and, you know, focused on the technical discussion. Um, and we can you know, have, have a place to kind of shoot the breeze and share lambo means and <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah all the indulgent silliness, you know uh, which yeah it's just a bit of fun really so uh, um you know i i think maybe um there's there's a value in some quality posts doing due diligence on icos and mm-hmm. things like that uh, i think you know there's a good reason to have a high signal to noise ratio if you're doing that but if you're just talking about the price going up or down or sideways well you know who cares
0: (laughs) so i'm curious like uh you as a moderator have you met any of the other moderators like at devcon one or in real life or do you all know who each other are and like talk and like with your real life identities or
1: no not really no it's 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 really i mean i i I think you know some of the ones who are um like hearing craft and you know, well-known um, people, but you know, most of us just know each other from our own, from our handles.
0: So you just talk on like an internal, ETH Trader moderator, and that's that's it, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Just gonna kind of a mod chat, um, you know, it, whether people can flag up issues or you know if they want to change, um, sort of experiment with ways of making the daily um, more sane or splitting it up or something like that it's uh you know we have discussion about kind of strategy do or um you know banning or whatever
0: yeah with the occasional flare-ups on that front and <laughs> there's been some interesting yeah. uh people getting upset at that yeah. even like the the banning is so rare um
1: yeah we, we try to give people a chance and you know i, I think mostly we just give people a warning um but if they kind of keep coming back and you know they're not changing, then there's nothing else to be done.
0: Um, I guess. How much time do you spend on on ETH Trader? Uh, how much time do you think the average ETH Trader mod spends? Because I hear that the the demands are are crazy and just like constant things in your queue.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, actually, not not too much. I mean, what, what you can do is you can just if you install the mod tools, you can just sort of be working. On something, and it will just pop up with the, um, you know, there's 20 items in the queue, and you can kind of glance through them, and it's mostly, you know, just <laughs> um, quite a lot of them are auto mod flags and things. Um, so, we, you know, there's not too much you know, it, it depends. It's, it's kind of time of day related as well. so.
0: So, is it mostly like just rescuing, you know, trying to find the legit things that got flagged by the auto mod and then? Yeah, yeah
1: it's, it's mainly, I, I mean, most of it is unflagging, flagging um, auto-mod and then just judging whether, I mean, we we allow people to insult each other a little bit, but if they overstep the line into getting abuse or threatening, then, you know, there's a need to act.
0: And that's usually when people flag other, like their, other users flag other users? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's quite helpful. I mean it when it was less busy um we would probably read all all the posts and make a judgement on on them now we kind of mainly rely on the users to flag stuff as a potential issue and then make a judgement on that
0: so i guess i guess um you know sort of moving away from the ETH trader stuff uh you know mm-hmm. cuz you're an actual like you're not just a guy that posts lambo memes you're an actual scientist uh, so do you want to you want to give us your background and um, like how did you get into uh, discover Ethereum? Was it just because, you know, I guess lead us into how you discovered Ethereum, even if it's just from being interested in Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, I'll give you my kind of background then anyway. So that originally I was an engineer um, and then I did a kind of PhD in artificial intelligence or applying artificial intelligence to biotechnology. Um, and then I've been working on on a bunch of kind of sort of interesting projects, um, mainly sort of uh, crazy things like robots and stuff like that. Um, But how I got into uh, Ethereum, weirdly enough, was um, um, through Vinny Gupta. Um, So I was trying to set up a project that was looking at kind of resilience. um, So what happens if critical infrastructure um, is damaged and you can have these kind of cascading effects where knocking out one system knocks out a whole bunch of other ones. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for example, you know, if, if you take down one part of the power network, you can get kind of cascading faults. And then if your power power networks out, you can have um, problems with your, water pumps and then your road network goes out and you know before long you're looking at the collapse of civilization <laughs> um so um I, I i kind of ran into um Willy Gupta and um, tried to get him into this pro- project the project didn't actually um turn it into anything real but then i started following him him on twitter and um he was tweet- tweeting about this ethereum thing and that kind of led me into it because again originally I, I knew about ethereum but, but i sort of dismissed it as a you know crazy scam and couldn't possibly work it was way too ambitious and <laughs> um so I, I didn't actually participate in the ico um but then through vinny i kind of read about it um and then took myself sort of good 6 months to kind of understand it and convince myself you know re- i actually read the yellow paper um that it made sense and
0: with the yellow paper made it, sense
1: well no, no with the yellow paper the, <laughs> notation, the, the yellow paper notation doesn't make any kind of sense but you know you can get a flavor of you know state transition idea and you know, <laughs> gas idea and you know it, it kind of makes a logical sense but the symbols what's this weird squiggle thing <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah um you know so i kind of a Looked at it and, and managed to kind of get my head around at least a little, little bit of, of how it works and um, convinced myself that it it was real and that it was interesting. Um, And I, I think the other part of it was kind of actually trying to understand why it was interesting because, you know, you've got the whole cryptocurrency idea um, and then it was sort of getting your head around the idea that a lot of our kind of social systems are um, kind of economic or social games. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that if Ethereum is kind of a protocol for um, kind of designing games involving multiple people, then that can kind of let you invent new kind of social and economic structures. And that's suddenly very interesting.
0: So I guess, well, a lot of things to, to, to dig on in there. Um, I guess one, the, uh, the resiliency project, was that something you were working on for work or was that on the side or?
1: Yeah. Um, the Re- resilience project was, um, a project potentially for work. Um, so we do these kind of, um, kind of funded research projects and there was one on kind of resilience or critical infrastructure. Um, but it, it, we couldn't really come up with a good program, um, that made a lot of sense. So we ended up dropping that.
0: What do you mean by program? Um, what plan
1: basically, okay. you know, like, you know, you design, um, a kind of plan for what works do and what, what areas to research and kind of what problems to address. And there was kind of, there's a sort of, there's a whole lot of components to kind of, resolve. so there was, um, the issue around um the sort of technical systems and um kind of high-tech resilience but then also things to do what sort of community results and the psychological makeup of communities and things like that and trying to get something that could kind of cut across all those different areas but um wasn't you know, it was still focused enough to do something useful was we couldn't really kind of come up with anything that made a great deal of sense. It
0: it sounds like, um, it mm-hmm. it sounds like you were almost, you know, as you were looking through the, this, you know, trying to figure out this problem and, and suss it out. Mm-hmm. And you came up with the roadblocks. I mean, that sort of like led you naturally to be predisposed towards understanding that Ethereum could be a mechanism for, you know, institutional design by by having incentives built in it, it, is is that fair to say or i mean was that about the same time frame or
1: yeah i mean i i, it, I, I kind of got into a, a a little bit later than that but it it was this kind of thinking about you know sort of social systems at a kind of higher level than you would sort of normally think of them you know because normally you're kind of enmeshed in them and you know institutions exist and they um you know have names and companies and um, governments and if you sort of start to think of them as networks that are all intertwined then you know there's a tenuous link a sort of metaphorical level to um you know, how you sort of start thinking about Ethereum as sort of network systems of people who are incentivized to, you know, can communicate with each other. You know, there's a sort of, there's a kind of metaphorical mapping between those.
0: Yeah. Um, it also, I mean, the resilience thing is interesting because, um, you know, there's a lot of utopia talk in, in mm-hmm. this space. Um, and uh, there's not a lot of dystopia talk like like you know like the resilience and you know the the dangers of it um do you uh, do you ever does that worry you you know occasionally people write stuff about that but i think mostly the community tends to think that we will just figure this out and society will be better and distributed and um do do you see like possible futures where this actually makes things worse
1: Yes, potentially. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of a little bit ambivalent about it. Um, so there's, there's kind of, I, I guess there's, there's two potential dystopias here. And um, the first is the kind of um, un, unkillable anarcho-capitalism and crime um, dystopia. And I think Vlad's, uh, it's actually just done a sort of blog post highlighting some of the issues there. You know, if if you're censorship resistant, then you know you're potentially enabling funding of terrorism and things like that. Um, you know, if you've got DApps that are, um, you know, something like um, like or, or, like if you, if you think of like augur betting on people's deaths or you know <laughs> something like that, um, you could get kind of these sort of unkillable um, sort of criminal um, organizations. The other side of it is the kind of corporate and government dystopia is that we've got a lot of interests now from governments and corporations in this technology. But if you're going to have things like, um, you know, immutable records of um, the history of people's behavior, or um, you're going to be sort of, have identity baked into sort of IOT devices and um, things like that, then you can have a kind of black mirror kind of dystopia, um, you know, where you've got kind of ranking and rating and um, kind of fight fine grain discrimination. So there's kind of two potential dystopias and hopefully we can kind of steer some sort of middle ground between uh, anarchism and uh, um, sort of the dictatorship, and, which is both kind of enables freedom and also enables them to be a kind of functioning society.
0: Do Do you think that privacy, like zk snarks, and you we know when we get them in, you know, two weeks, two weeks. Um, and but I guess it's scheduled for four months away. Do you? How much of the your second dystopia do you think that ameliorates?
1: It ameliorates some in that. If you can have, you know, identities, you know, things which aren't linked to your main identity. So this is basically the kind of port design idea is, you know, your work profile, where you want to prove certain facts about your education, work experience is going to be different from your dating profile or, you know, your social profile. And if you can kind of attest to different things um, or to, to the same thing, but have it linked to different identities to Mm -hmm. display different facets of yourself then potentially um so this sort of privacy preserving technology would help with that i mean I, i um the but long term i think there's this sort of economic incentive to reveal information about yourself so let's say you had um this you know hypothetical dating site or something well Let's say it was possible to attest that you didn't have a criminal record. Um, now, no one would be forcing you to do that, but it would—you might, you know—be more successful if you did. So there can be these sort of economic or social pressures that would for, that kind of gradually say reveal something positive about yourself, which means people who've got the negative thing by default are revealing uh, that they have a negative thing. You know.
0: Yeah. So my you know? my my thought on that is is like somewhat different, which is just that. Um, it like ZK snarks are kind of a black box to you know mm-hmm. even really smart people, um that have you know read the post about them. Yeah. Uh, so I wonder, you know, granted, a lot of society is you know sort of a black box. I mean, even my car is is a black box to me, mm-hmm. right? Like I I turn the key and it starts, and you know I don't really know how internal combustion engines really work. I mean, I have the gist of it, but um, yeah. But I do wonder if like you know when you you know assuming a lot of things in this, in in this, but in this future scenario, but you know, the blockchains become scalable and all that, like would society at large, you know, be okay with the idea of like privacy based on ZK snarks when it's, you know, basically a black box.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It it, it, it turns out that, despite all the moon
0: maths it was all just a lie and everything was being public (laughs) yeah uh, yeah i mean certainly people would like think that i mean you you know i yeah you can even go to like um lower trust societies and countries today and i mean it's like they are full of conspiracy theories right i mean um and of course the weird the the sad thing is that um, having spent time in South America, like often those conspiracy theories are actually true <laughs> about their politicians. So um, uh, yeah. I, mean, I,
1: I, I don't think there'd be a sort of societal fear about it particularly because I mean, you just have to look at kind of people's online behavior and the way in which they kind of routinely reveal everything about themselves um, to centralize things at the moment. That you know, I, I think if people are, have a reasonable, you know, trust in so you know, like you say, you don't know, you don't need to know your how your car works to drive it. You know, they just need to sort of trust that it seems to work enough and they can get that inductively from no one has revealed any information yet. You know, so that there could be some theoretical flaw in the in the future. But until that happens, people would you know, on the basis of experience, say well, right you know no no one's broken it yet therefore it is safe
0: yeah our our trustless future is all about trusting in technology and math
1: (laughs) yeah i mean this this again is like one of the the ironies is that you know these people use this term trustless and I, i don't really like the term trustless because there's so much kind of social trust you know so you're you're trusting in um, what people tell you about the technology you're trusting in a group of developers and you know what <laughs> um, you know to download the right the right code and that a contract does something you know unless you are you know prepared to spend a lot of lot of your life you know auditing it line by line and even then right yeah <laughs> you know you wouldn't be able to um, you know so I, I think you never escape this social trust issue you can just sort of um, add potentially additional layers and sort of change where the social trust lies.
0: So uh, we start, we talked a little bit about adoption in there. So I guess I'll sort of ask you some adoption questions in there. Um, Like changing where our trust, trust lies, you know, you Mm -hmm. had a classic thread, you know, I don't know a a while ago about, um, you know, what should you spend ether on today? And then you, you tested about a bunch of things that, um, that people gave you, um, what would, what would that thread look like today? If, if you were to do that, like, what would you, um, what, what, what's the most exciting thing on, on the network to you at the moment?
1: Um, I mean, actually I, I was planning a sort of revisiting that at um, some some point soon. Because, yeah, you should, because, you know, so, I think actually I might throw that out to your listeners and say, you know, what should I test um, and have a look at? I mean, I, I quite like, um, I think a, a cashier is something that sort of delivered a working decentralized social network is is quite interesting. I, I've enjoyed that on the testnet, whether it'd spend actual money to do it. Um, <laughs> Not
0: quite sure. Um well that's like Leroy, right? I mean it's like yeah. it's actually running on the main net, but it's yeah. it's not cheap. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, you know, so I, I and I mean I, I think the the EFA-risk um flight insurance and parametric insurance um could be quite interesting as well. Um, but it's uh, again that there was any kind of a tests thing. Um I mean, this is the thing: is all the apps are still in this kind of test right. zone at the moment. I mean, I, I mean, there's there's a lot of kind of gambling ones, but I'm not, um, not that in, into the gambling side of it, really. Um, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to um, this um, some of the kind of decentralized music stuff, um, like Ujo and um, Jack. Um, if it ever kind of eventually becomes in some way consumer facing and at the moment it's just digital rights management kind of the back end part of it. Um, right. But I think that kind of um, opening up the rights management and opening up kind of creativity, I'd be kind of quite interested to look at and, you know, um, but I, I, yeah, no, I, I think I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw that out to your listeners and say, you know, what should I try? Uh, because I, I currently looking around, there's not there's nothing that's totally compelling yet out
0: there. Do you? Where should they get in touch with you on that? Should they email you, Twitter you, or tweet at you, or should they go to um, an ETH Trader thread? Or
1: um, I, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll probably put one up, um, you know, when this podcast goes out, and then um, I'll put it on ETHTrader. Trader, and if people reply to that. Um and say yeah try my app and I'll do a do a very critical review of it.
0: <laughs> awesome, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, free uh, free user ex- free user experience testing. Um, so, uh, you recently said you were bored of of token sales. Um, why why are you bored of token sales? Okay, so there's been a lot of them
1: (laughs) people are raising crazy valuations, but that's not, you know, so from a kind of investment point of view, I kind of think some of the, the valuations are kind of crazy for experimental um, stuff, you know, whether, you know, there's a lot of technical risk and there's a lot of um, even more market risk. Um, But that's not the boring part. The boring part is I think people aren't really experimenting with other models um, you know, so I, I think there's kind of interesting things that can be done around. So if you think something like safe Market or, um, the district X, um, district zero X, um, where there's kind of markets, you know, that have a theme or something like that, you can, the whole point of, of Ethereum in my eyes is you're incentivizing people to do sort of jobs or you incentivize a computer them to share computing resources and things like that um, but this doesn't have to be kind of homogenous you could have people being incentivized to kind of curate a market or you know if you look at something like Swarm City um, you could have people who are you know rather than having a token that you spend for ride sharing and you know dog walking or whatever um, they're doing in their boardwalk, um, you could have people who are incentivized to be mayors of an area and kind of promote the use of Swarm City within that area to sign up drivers, to um, moderate disputes and things like that. And this kind of like job role aspect, I think hasn't really been explored um, sufficiently. And the, the other point is um Again, some of the kind of more interesting legal models have not been explored sufficiently. I mean, everyone's trying desperately to avoid being a security. But if Ethereum is going to have links with real world assets and, you know, you'll have stuff that actually represents shares and actually represents real estate and things like that, someone's going to do the hard legal work of figuring out how to be compliant rather than trying to avoid being compliant and, you know, um, sorry, avoid having to be compliant by kind of being classified as not a security. I I think in a sense, the tokens are being used to evade stuff, you know, difficult questions, which should be solved. Can the, I mean, isn't,
0: isn't uh, we're just waiting on the sec for that right i mean do you are you you suggesting something more than that
1: well no so i mean i I defer to people who are actually legal experts in in this regard uh, and i'm not so don't don't take any advice from me um but
0: well even a legal expert can't really predict what a group of regulators will do i mean i think even within the sec probably Mm -hmm. you would get varying opinions on what they will actually do you know yeah (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, but so, but, you know, actually, rather than, you know, so let, let's say um, at the moment, everyone's trying to um, sort of avoid triggering the Howie test and, you know, um, all the different problems of it and um, be, be classified as not a security, right. but actually register you know there's a whole bunch of kind of admin burden and compliance burden and things like that but if you're raising 200 million you can afford to do that compliance burden you can afford to um actually have a prospectus for investors you can afford to be have audited accounts in which case you could then have stuff that um you know does represent real world assets and and things like that you know so
0: yeah that's that's an interesting yeah. idea I, I wonder if the you know the the hold up there it ends up not being mm-hmm. really money it ends up being like time right because mm-hmm. the space moves fast and yeah you would you know you, you it would take forever essentially right like and it would probably be more expensive because you would have the token aspect on top of all yeah. of the compliance um but of course if you're raising 200 million you can mm-hmm. you can pay for it I just wonder it's like the the time element ends yeah. up being the the harder part. Yeah, no, I,
1: I think then there's an element of that, but but again, I don't think that's too critical at the moment because I mean, let's face it, we're you know Ethereum still is not going to scale um, to the level that's needed for kind of mass use apps, um, you know, until we've got proof of space, uh, proof of stake, and we've got sharding, and you know, maybe plasma. Um, et cetera and um, all of that so and these are all probably another year out, so the benefits of being first to market aren't necessarily there. Um, you know so I, I don't think that necessarily you know there's a rush to prototype, but you can do prototypes on the cheap, um, but trying to be you know trying try, try, try to move too quickly. I don't think it's necessarily going to give you a strategic advantage. In fact, I reckon that the goods that you know, the, almost sort of fast forwards, might have an advantage because the the initial depths have tackled a lot of the kind of hard technical problems. They've um, right. sort of helped develop um, kind of development toolkits and frameworks and things and best practices. So your kind of fast forward can come along and learn from all that and implement sort of more quickly and with a bit of hindsight about the market and user experience and all the traps and and problems that they're going to see along the way.
0: So uh, let's hold the scalability question. I'll come back to that in a second. Um, Mm -hmm. I I wanted to go back to something you said, which I thought was really interesting. Um, So I guess let me summarize what I heard you say as... um, you feel like there's not enough experimentation on tokens. Um, and, and given the examples that you gave it almost, it seems like maybe even there's some sense of um, people are not being creative enough with what they decentralize and what they centralize. Is that, is that fair to say, or is there, is it more to it than, than that? Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think so. I mean, there's the sort of issues around, you know, different, different funding models and, but it's more about exactly as you say, what do they centralize and what do they decentralize? So let's say I'm going to come up with an app that I'm not building. Um, Let's say you want to do um, something which is like about um, parking. Okay. So at the moment, you know, if you park somewhere, you have parking meter, you put money in it, or you can ring up someone by phone. Um, But you could, and there's, Whole bunch of these apps so that you know if you're parking in a different place, um then you know you have to use a different system. So you could have a universal place where essentially you load load up um your wallet with E for some stable coin, Mm -hmm. and then you park and when your um registration numbers registered, you know, you could you know said pay pay for that. Um but so, there, your model would be the enforcement uh, as a service. You know, or, you know, so it, it's these kind of rather than selling a token, it would be selling enforcement as a service. Or if we go again to the kind of swarm city Uber thing, um, there's a whole bunch of stuff about vetting drivers and making sure they're insured um, that could be monetized as an actual company. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's, you know, around offering sort of I mean, you know, different kinds of routing services, um, you know, different kind of matching services. So kind of, instead of, instead of sort of saying, we've got to pay play, you know, token system for the DAP itself, you kind of design a system to disrupt the market and then offer the added value services alongside it. Mm-hmm. As your way of kind of monetizing, um,
0: yeah, so just,
1: uh, yeah, whole, you know, just, just I mean, I, I'm not saying there's a particularly good model. I'm just saying that that's the kind of thing you could construct.
0: Yeah, I, I think I, I understand what you're saying. You're basically saying it's 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 boring because we're raising so much money on things that we don't know for sure that they will work. So we should probably keep raise sizes smaller while yeah. while we figure out like what parts of do need to be de- un, you know unbundled yeah. through decentralization or whatever, yeah. and, and, and what t- parts don't and um
1: yeah so i yeah i mean uh, again it's you know you're gonna think what's the value of decentralization in a lot of these scenarios and in in a lot of them it's it's kind of actually it's avoiding the kind of a a single company capturing the network effect and value it's having a kind of open platform in which different you know it's essentially kind of white label and different service um, providers can um provided added value on top of that um you know so if if we end up with these kind of competing token systems you're kind of back to this monopoly problem again you know so um Hmm. you know so it's partly and also i think there's also a lot of kind of little low-hanging fruit that people are kind of not going for i mean it there's kind of, I mean, at the moment we still don't have a decent merchant shopping cart, for example, um, that's, um, kind of free to use. There's a lot of, um, you know, so yeah. and if, if sort of people like, uh, you know, for, who, for example, the person who did the E flance thing, did it very quickly themselves. Um, that's one dev, you know, so It seems that people at the moment are kind of just cashing in on the the speculation, whereas I'd like to see sort of more just experimentation by individuals, Um, you know, build a product, get it out there, test it, um, see what happens, um, rather than trying to kind of build these giant kind of castles, build little, little components that can interact with each other.
0: Do one thing well it sounds like you're relatively selective about the token sales that you back and the teams that you, that yeah. you choose to, to, to give, put value at risk with.
1: Yes. Uh,
0: yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I no, very, very
1: few. Right, so.
0: I, I agree. I, I, you know, I, I do token calendar for the, for my newsletter. And um, I mean, it is astounding. Some of the projects that I see that manage to raise, raise decent amounts. And it is yeah. mind blowing. And frankly, like it, I don't like doing the token calendar because I see some of these projects that you know have like nothing there, like not a good team, not a good idea, like no code, and they still raise like five million dollars, and that drives me a little nuts. Um, but hey, it's yeah,
1: no, it's, it's yeah. If it was less ethical, I'd do one myself. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, some of them are crazy. I mean, it's, some of them are, are very good teams as well, but it, it seems that I, I, I worry that a lot of the people investing because they could flip it, you know, it, this is the whale game of, you know, you buy all the tokens up, you restrict supply, and then, you know, you can manipulate the markets and you you make money, whatever. And I think people are probably setting themselves up for a fall there because all this kind of, um, these valuations are, are based on, um, sort of the greater fool theory and, I think people are going to be, but uh, actually, so everyone, everyone thinks that, you know, as development happens, the price, <laughs> doesn't to um, I, I think actually almost the reverse will happen in that people will launch products, find that they're either flawed in some way or they don't address a real market need. And, you know, they end up with two users. <laughs> or something like that. And, you know, because they didn't actually have a particularly compelling use case and there's another not a compelling reason to be decentralized. Um, and then you'll see a lot of these valuations plummet, um, because people were sort of, it was okay while they were speculative, but when the business is actually launched and, you know, there's not that much adoption, people think, you know, that the demand for the token isn't going to be that much.
0: So that's interesting because you, uh, some of your, your comments on Reddit as well, um, as well as this have, have suggested that you sort of subscribe to the, uh, the value accrues at the fat protocols theory. Um, and I'm actually skeptical of, of that for, for reasons I'm planning on writing a blog post about, but, um, th- th- would you say generally that you like think that value agree will accrue to the protocol level or, um do you are you agnostic on it or do you have any any strong views there um i mean i I'm probably not
1: as as i don't have as strong a view as as you might think on that i mean i i, I think there may be it, it depends how kind of sustainable um these sort of things built on top are um and how easy it is to challenge them you know at, at a lower level um I mean, what's your kind of critique of the fat critical idea? What's the...
0: Yeah, so...
1: Sure, skepticism.
0: Alex Bolkin wrote, uh, from CoinFund, wrote a post where he said the opposite. And he said that, um, you know, basically, like, no chains are scalable. Therefore, uh, it's quite obvious that uh, value accrues at the app level, not the protocol level. Mm. Um, And I I think that's, like, a totally reasonable view for now. um, But... My view is a little bit different, which is that, you know, um, like he's saying that for now because because we don't know about scalability. My view is that when you buy Ether, you are essentially buying computation on, on the network, right? And <laughs> because of that, like we don't really know whether value accrues at the protocol level or the app level at this point because – we don't know what the demand, you know, like how scalable can we get this, um, uh, you know, so like on the supply side of, of, of computational power mm. and then on the demand power, just like whether we can figure out all of the, um, you know, like key management things and, and all of that to get your average user on there. So my view is that it's way too early to even be, thinking that you can say ultimately value accrues at protocol or app layer, but that, um, you know, in terms of things that things that, you know, we, like we have to build the whole tech stack, right? So, you know, going to the analogy of like the internet, I mean, you could say that value accrued to the protocol layer first and that it was Apple and and Intel and, and windows. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, if you look at what is still around, like that's, you know, Amazon is an app as an app, essentially. Um, although, of course, they only Amazon only makes money on AWS, which is not an app. <laughs> it's more of a protocol or, or, you know, I don't know what you would ex- exactly call that. But um, yeah,
1: yeah. So yes, I mean I probably agree it's it's too it's too early to call, but I mean sort of elaborate the argument for the protocol is kind of one of the points about systems like this is they're good spaces for perfect competition because um, you know you can launch you can you can launch the app you can copy. the sort of design that um, someone else has done Um, a lot of the whole point of decentralization is to avoid lock in and kind of, um, you know, if if, let's say you're dependent on um, a particular, you know, sort of user interface to access it, you know, so if you think of the kind of the user facing porthole, then it's not a good decentralized design. Um, And, It's relatively easy, I think, for people to kind of come up with, um, you know, a copy of this app that either has another token or um, that um, uses ETH directly. Um, And you will eventually get a kind of perfect competition thing happening, which means that the profit um, in inverted commerce that any kind of business running on the blockchain makes will kind of fall to zero in which case you know the zero will be the cost of computation
0: yeah that's yeah i suppose that goes back to like what you were saying earlier which is like how much of their tech stack ends up being decentralized for a lot of these projects Mm -hmm. too right um yeah
1: yeah so it it would only they can only kind of defend their competitive advantage to the in kind of i guess kind of two ways. So the first is that there's components of it, which are outside of the decentralized stack, you know, that they've got, you know, some sort of external system, um, like a service or, um, a, um, you know, another, um, closed source program that you use or, um, a difficult to replicate, um, thing that's external to the, to the network or um, the other other thing is essentially kind of liquidity and um, being the go-to place, you know? So you could see one of the um, decentralized exchanges being the winner in a kind of, if everyone uses it, everyone uses it because there's value in a lot of people using the same thing. Right. But unless you can achieve one of those two things, you're gonna get, perfect competition happening and then it's just going to be the cost of computation that everything will fall to
0: so so i said um a while back that you know put on hold the scalability questions um mm-hmm. so i want to want to come back to that um the if we if we think about so i mean ethereum as we said earlier you know alex's view is that there's no scalability anyway so um yeah, until we have scalability then then it's mm-hmm. app level you you could you could in that case say that um, Ethereum will be disrupted as it currently is, right? It's like the the place to go for yeah for a, a virtual machine for you know for for running um, code distributedly on a mm-hmm. distributed platform. But uh, in the future, it will be disrupted. Um, the question is whether it's disrupted by Ethereum itself or or one of the other ones. I know you you've talked a lot about a lot of the quote unquote ethereum killers um i'm curious as to you know if we think about on a market cap basis some of these the market Mm -hmm. is essentially just saying that they have like if tezos raises one percent of ethereum's market cap even though it's an insane number you could sort of view that as the market saying that tezos has a one percent chance do you think that's even like do do you think that's a reasonable valuation for for tezos like a like in a one percent chance kind of of disrupting ethereum do you think it's higher or lower
1: um i, I think I, I probably give it marginally higher than that although i mean i, I don't particularly like tezos in that it's kind of i, I think I, I don't particularly like um i either some most of the ideas in it um
0: yeah I and, share a and, lot of, a lot of your skepticism, yeah, for yeah. sure. the The, the governance yeah. aspect doesn't seem right. Yeah. The formal verification is mm-hmm. a bit overblown. You've, you've said all those things I, I would yes. say on, on Reddit, right
1: but, but, but uh, I mean, I, I think what they do have is they have a lot of money and a clean slate and the ability to kind of learn from any kind of issues that Ethereum have encountered.
0: and do you think that a lot of money will be an well, advantage? And-
1: hmm Um if so again, this kind of goes back to my critique. I, I think with very good management, a lot of money is an advantage. It, if management is um even just normal, then it can it isn't a great advantage because they've still got to solve the hard problems, they've still got to attract the right talent, and I think the kind of the experts in this area aren't, you know, that motivated by the money, the more interest in the interesting problems. Um, so they've got a resource issue um, and a kind of project management issue in that they can't just throw a bunch of money at these, these problems and expect them to be solved. Um, you know, so I reckon they're probably um, going to spend a lot of money on external stuff to kind of build the ecosystem. You know, for example, the VC fund that they've started right. and um, things like that to kind of gain traction. Um, but I don't think the money is going to be a sort of advantage in solving the fundamental problems of scalability and privacy and things like that. Um,
0: yeah, that's a fascinating... Yeah. It, I mean, this is like a, almost a, a situation unfaced in human history before, you know, like a startup that has hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> that's never really happened before i mean that you normally yeah. have to be a big bloated company in order in order for that to happen um i i it would be fascinating to watch
1: yeah so i mean i uh, you know th- there could be a too much money and too much complexity problem and they could end up just sort of burning through it um but i mean it, it depends on how they manage it i mean if they're i, I mean i i think one thing that'll be critical is how independent the foundation is and the degree to which they can kind of control spending and ensure that money isn't wasted or, you know, that it's allocated efficiently. Um, but, you know, if people think they can just throw money from the shoe,
0: then they probably can't. You, you, you mean the Tezos foundation?
1: Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I, I've got,
0: Sorry, so yeah, whenever I hear the foundation, I think the Ethereum foundation, yeah. so it, it yeah, yeah. took so, me a second so, to process. That, that,
1: that would be <laughs> So, I mean, ones that I think are, are quite interesting, I, I think DFINITY is a shot at um, really having a good crack at scaling. Um, so I, I think they've got a kind of relatively credible team and credible roadmap and how they're going to solve scaling as an issue. Um, I would keep keep an eye on the Zcash team um, for the privacy issue because they're about the only people on the planet who seem to understand (laughs) the knowledge proofs. But, um, you know, so I I think those are the two. Like EOS, it seems to be a kind of grab bag of concepts and it's, I mean, EOS and EOS (laughs) eos and tezos i have a kind of basically they've gone oh we could do this and we could do that and we could do you know um right 20 million things and i i prefer the uh, you know we're going to solve this one thing we're going to solve scaling and we're going to solve privacy and then rather than oh yeah we could just borrow (laughs) do both and then buy a
0: country do um I'm tempted to ask you the the awful questions, like how long do you think it'll be until we get plasma and proof of stake?
1: <laughs> I, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs>
0: but that's—I mean—the only real answer is no available. idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I guess we're we're getting close to to wrapping up. Um, I guess um, I think you hinted at it, but what what most excites you about about this space? It, the opportunity yeah, so- to rebuild institutions, or
1: yeah, so I think it has the potential. So I, I, I've used the term kind of public good infrastructure.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I think that's the interesting thing. Is um, so if you've got, for example, an industry which um, has a lot of competitors, but there's value in them cooperating and you know sharing data. Um, there's a, a lot of space for kind of turning competition into cooperation and um building kind of a new public good infrastructure you know so if you think of things like the data commons or um you know the open street map and kind of incentivizing things like that so this kind of essentially both funding and building um Public good information infrastructure, I think, is the most kind of exciting thing um, about it. You know, there's, there's a real chance to kind of build these kind of economic and information systems that straddle the planet and, and do something new.
0: All right. Well, enjoyed talking. Thanks. Thanks for being okay. my my guinea pig right. on the Ethereum podcast uh, debut. Okay. So enjoyed it.
1: Okay. All right. Okay. Well. Good luck and. <laughs> Um, Hopefully, first of many.